You're listening to Group, a podcast about mental illness and mental health. This is the show for the warriors. I created this whole new mental attitude. It's called a nervous breakdown. The depressives. I'm straight up mentally ill. And the armchair diagnosers. She's autistic. She can't help it. Yeah, I'm autistic. No, you're not autistic, Tina. For those of you who have obsessive thoughts, we're here to tell you that you're not alone. As long as I clench my fists at odd intervals, then the darkness within me won't force me to do anything inappropriately violent or sexual at dinner parties. To those of you who are getting your shit together, we're here to support you, and we want to hear all the details. I'm seeing a cognitive behavioral therapist. Her name is Linda. To those of you who are trying something new, we want to know how it's working out. How's it going with the fidget spinner? Great! You seem a lot less anxious. We're here to tell your stories, to make you laugh, and to give you an audio hug through your earbuds. I'm Rebecca Lee Douglas, your resident anxious person, and I'm here with group friendopist, clinical social worker, Catherine Drury. Hello, everyone. And with us all the way from Seattle, Washington, the city with the highest percentage of residents with a college degree and the city with more houseboats than anywhere else in the United States, <laughs> we have science writer Ian Chant. Yeah, houseboats. <laughs> I've been to your new apartment, but you're not on a houseboat, I presume. We are not. We are we are way up on a hill, which uh, unfortunately precludes houseboats traditionally. But you know what? Like, give it, you know, another couple years of climate change and mm -hmm. top of a hill will be a perfect place for a houseboat. <laughs> right. I think that might make a cute tiny house. Bring a boat up on top of the hill, like add one of those like composting toilets. <laughs> Have you ever seen um, sh pictures of Shel Silverstein's uh, houseboat? No. It's fantastic. It went up for sale a couple years back, and uh, Curbed had a great little feature on it. It's it's exactly what you would want out of Shel Silverstein's houseboat. Oh my god. Is it, like, magical and whimsical and, like, filled with little weird illustrations and poems and stuff? Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of weird artifacts and stained glass. And uh -huh. and it's it's very like it's on that like whimsical but maybe something really unpleasant behind it like that sort of like sort of sort of dark carnivalish oh like sinister yeah I always sort of like wanted to live in like a houseboat or like a yurt or like some sort of fort or something but yeah as I've grown up I've realized that quality indoor plumbing and heat <laughs> are both very important things for me. <laughs> So uh, today we have a different sort of show. We don't have any guests or experts. It's just going to be the three of us. Uh, but we're going to be talking about cognitive distortions or thought errors, which we've touched on in, in previous episodes. But we're really going to break down, get into the nitty gritty of what, what these negative patterns of thinking are that, you know, on, on one end can make you feel sort of crappy, but also can just lead to anxiety and depression. So we're going to be doing that with the help of some of our favorite anxious and depressed friends from pop culture and television. Uh, we have a lot of Leslie Nope from Parks and Recreation because she is my favorite. <laughs> we'll also hear from Bojack Horseman. We have some Bob's Burgers characters, uh, George Costanza, classic, and uh, Kelly Kapoor and Michael Scott from The Office. So if you love television as much as we love talking about anxiety, you should stick around because this is the episode for you.
cognitive distortions or thought errors are terms that were developed by cognitive therapists. From what I understand, Catherine, they're like irrational beliefs that you unknowingly reinforce over time in your head. So they're like these Mm -hmm. negative thought patterns that are not based in fact, and they can potentially, you know, cause psychological damage over time. Uh, How do you describe them to your your, uh, patients? I mean, that's a pretty good description. Yeah, they're they're self-defeating, they're irrational beliefs that are not based on reality. And the take-home point is that they're unhelpful and prevent people from from reaching their goals or or achieving their full potential. So, I know everyone experiences like, you know, negative thoughts at one point or another. But the thing is, if you get into this pattern of thought distortions, um, yeah, it can like really, yeah, screw up your life. So, Consequently, if you address them, it can be really helpful for for people who have anxiety and depression. Addressing uh, thought distortions has been ac- actually a really a really helpful tool for me um, in dealing with my my own anxiety. Mm. Um, so this strategy for identifying and correcting these negative thought patterns was initially developed by uh, psychiatrist Aaron Beck, who was the creator of cognitive behavioral therapy. And it's been adapted by cognitive therapists since then. There are between like 10 and 16 different types of distortions, like depending on which therapist you're talking to or working with or which guide you're looking at. And some of them are really similar. So we're going to talk about seven, but I'll post a full list of all the different distortions on the group website, grouppodcast.com, if you want to go check it out there. Um, And there, there will be some resources on dealing with them. Just one more thing I'll say is that they often go pretty deep, um, usually in identifying thought distortions that you may have. You uncover some core beliefs that you might have about yourself or about the world. And so looking at thought distortions can be really helpful in the therapeutic setting. It's interesting. It's like negative beliefs that you've maybe had for for years or you've been reinforcing for years that you like haven't even realized about yourself until you start examining some of these things. Exactly. Yeah. I I was actually curious, but before we get started, Catherine, do do when you're talking with people about some of these distortions, are, are these things that people tend to to recognize that they do, or or more that people sort of do unconsciously? Um, it tends to be more unconscious until, you know, I kind of present people with some of the different distortions that exist, and you know, particularly if they're looking at negative or self-defeating thoughts that they might have regularly or that are causing them to exhibit some sort of unwanted behavior. Then as I provide some psychoeducation around cognitive distortions and what these different things mean, then it becomes that moment of, oh, I I think that, or I do that, or that's how I see myself or the world. But usually at at the start, it's more unconscious. I I think for me, like it's, it's like, I know that I have thoughts that aren't super helpful or distracting or negative, but I couldn't identify exactly, you know, what was at the root of the thought or like why I was thinking that or how to fix it. Um, Yeah. I think I kind of, I kind of had the same, a similar moment when I was uh, sort of looking over the show notes in advance of this in of this recording and going, oh, there's a name for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. 
the first thought error we're going to talk about is called uh, all or nothing thinking, or it's sometimes called polarized thinking or also black and white thinking, um, also dichotomous thinking. There's a few different names for it. And this distortion manifests as an inability or unwillingness to see shades of gray in a person's life. So you might see things in terms of complete extreme. Something is either fantastic or awful. You're either perfect and wonderful or a complete failure, and there's no gray area within those, those polarized opposites. The example that I pulled of all or nothing thinking is uh, from a, one of my favorite shows of all time, uh, Bob's Burgers. For folks who haven't seen the show, it's about uh, a family who owns a diner in what is probably Ocean City, New Jersey. Bob is the chef in the diner. He has a wife named Linda, and then Linda has a sister named Gail. And she is a very anxious human. Um, And in this clip, she is uh, experiencing some black and white thinking after a date canceled on her last minute. What's wrong? Oh, Linda, you remember that guy I met on Cat Chip, Stacy? Yeah. Wait, men can be named Stacy? I love America! Well, we were supposed to go see Yarnival. It's like Cirque du Soleil, but with cats. And then he canceled. So I guess I'll take Bob. Oh, uh, no. No, no, no. No. Okay, fine. I'll go by myself. That's okay. I can use the empty seat next to me to slump into when I die alone. (laughs) Yeah, so Gail is thinking that because she doesn't have anyone to go to Yarnival with, she's never going to find anyone and she's going to die alone. Um, So, Catherine, how would you recommend that Gail address these thoughts? So with all cognitive distortions, and we can talk about this one in particular, but I usually use something that's called cognitive restructuring. And this can either be done with a therapist or on your own using thought journals. And it's particularly helpful when these irrational thoughts are causing some sort of unwanted behavior or outcome. So Um, in this case, it would be like Gail is, is panicking. Right. Or... If this then causes her to do something destructive, oh or, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. um, which we wouldn't want for Gail. No. So, Gail should start by writing down or talking with someone about the situation. So, what's called the activating event and everything that led up to this this thought arising in her head that she's going to die alone. Okay, so in this case, the activating event, I guess, would be that uh, Stacy from cat chat canceled on her and now she she's looking for somebody else to go with her and nobody can can go to yarnival with her right okay the next step in the cognitive restructuring would be for her to write down what thought she had as a result of that activating event in those circumstances okay so i'm gonna die alone (laughs) exactly so gail could go further here by writing down any images or feelings that were associated with the thought, any resulting emotional or behavioral consequences that she may be engaged in because of that thought. So I'm just going to like extrapolate from the clip. So I'm thinking like (laughs) if I'm Gail, I'm freaked out. I have fear, maybe sadness. I may be like humiliated that Stacy canceled on me. She has this image of herself. Yeah. Like dying in the seat at the cat carnival while nobody's next to her. Like nobody cares. Anyway, this is (laughs) right. This This is the image. I'm getting if I'm Gail. So we can assume she maybe spent the rest of the day miserable Mm -hmm. or did something that she would later regret because of these feelings that the thought elicited. 
So in looking back at this timeline she has of what happened, she would determine if there were any irrational beliefs or distortions at work within these automatic thoughts that she had about the situation and about herself. Yeah. Okay. So we don't know any other thoughts right now. So the one thing that we can identify uh, (laughs) if we're Gail is the all or nothing thinking, but that's, there's definitely some of that going on. Right. And typically there are more than one thought distortion um, in a given scenario. It would then be up to Gail, usually with the help of a therapist, to first gather evidence about that thought, if it's based in reality at all. So if the thought is, I'm going to die alone, you know, you could ask some disputing questions about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, does Gail know that for certain? What other evidence does she have other than this one isolated incident? Is there another point of view that we could look at the situation from? And then Gail could come up with a more rational and productive thought that's more based in reality with which she could replace that okay. cognitive so, distortion. So, like, if I'm trying to counter that thought and I'm, I, you know, and I'm Gail's friend, I'm Linda, you know, Gail's sister or something, I, I would say, like, I'm sure there are a lot of other people on cat chat who are maybe interested in meeting up with you and like doing cat related activities. I was just going to say, I can't believe anyone would have a hard time getting rid of a a ticket to a cat (laughs) carnival. That's got to be a hot ticket. I know if you, she just needs to post that online somewhere, post that on Facebook, Gail. Like I I'd go with her a hundred (laughs) percent. Ian sounds like he'd be down. Oh yeah. Pretty much my whole life is just me killing time between cat carnivals. (laughs) So the technique you're using is something called countering. Mm. So using facts and reasons and information that you have from your own history or from other people's viewpoints or just from the circumstances around you to refute those underlying beliefs and assumptions. So I'm also going to say, like, she has close relationships that we see on the show. You know, she's close with Bob. She's close Mm. with Linda. She has nieces and a nephew that she's close with. We know she's dated in the past. If you watch the show, she'll date after this. Gail's going to be okay. Right. And so using that information, Gail could write down an alternative thought to replace that negative thought. What a therapist might work with Gail to do is in the future when she's faced with similar circumstances and has that impulse to have the distorted thought, um, she would then instead replace it with a more productive, helpful thought. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm Gail and I'm reframing this thought, it's like... It turns out I'm going to have to try and find somebody else to go to Yarnival with me, you know, maybe post that online or or I'm going to have to go alone this time. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm not going to have anyone to do other activities with or that I'm going to die alone. Right. So that skill of reframing is just looking at the situation a little differently. I'm Like you said, I'm going to the carnival alone, Yarnival alone. <laughs> <laughs> but I might be able to enjoy it more without having to worry about another person, or I might meet someone at the Yarnival. Okay. So can we, can we try uh, another thought error? Um, sure. Okay. What do you, what do you have for us? So the second thought error is called overgeneralization. And this distortion takes one instance or example and generalizes it to an overall pattern. So I thought of this with Gail as well. Um, Overgeneralizing 
can lead to overly negative thoughts about oneself and one's environment that are really just based on only one or two experiences. Okay, so that does make sense with Gil because she was saying, like, because this one guy canceled on me, I'm generalizing it to say that I'm going to die alone. Exactly. Um, uh, I do have a, another clip that I thought I would play as an example of overgeneralization. So what we have here is from Parks and Recreation, starring Amy Poehler as the amazing Leslie Nope, the deputy director of the Parks and Recreation Department of the fictional city of Pawnee, Indiana. Context for the clip, Leslie had some negative experiences in the past with folks who run the local public library. Newsflash, we're screwed. We got a big problem with the library. Wait, why do we hate the library? The library is the worst group of people ever assembled in history. They're mean, conniving, rude, and extremely well-read, which makes them very dangerous. And they're trying to steal Lot 48 for a new branch. What? Yeah. Yeah. On 48? Yeah. I actually think a library would be nice that close to my house. Yeah. But I'm not about to say that in there. Okay, so I'm going to try and use some of the things that you were talking about that you taught us in order to like go through her distortion. So the activating event would be that the library wants to build on lot 48, which Leslie's team wants for a park. And so her thought is that libraries are evil. Hmm. I can see this as generalizing like a, a, a hatred towards libraries because of her negative experience with like a couple of folks who work there. Right. Also some all or nothing thinking there and saying that they're screwed because of this this yeah. one situation. There's yeah. no room for an in-between between yeah. screwed and wonderful. Um, and also some magnification, which is another cognitive distortion. Oh, yeah. So, like, magnifying the situation to be, like, a bigger deal than and, it is. It, Catherine, if you don't mind backing up for a second, uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of sort of overlap or, or, or kind of Venn diagram between some of these errors. Is that something that therapists kind of take into account? Yeah. I mean, often, as I said, like in one thought, there's several thought distortions at work. Sometimes it's not always so helpful to to nitpick exactly which one it is, as long as it's it's clear that there's a thought distortion present in the situation yeah. and that there's maybe a few of them at work. But yes, there there is some some overlap or one thought can hold within it a few different distortions. Mm-hmm. Ian, I don't think that Leslie would do well in Seattle, which we learned in the last episode of Group, uh, ha- has the nation's largest number of library card holders. <laughs> Indeed it does. And some very beautiful <laughs> libraries and they're all over the place. And, and as, you know, as, as loath as I am to say anything against a, a personal hero in Leslie Nope, um, libraries are fantastic. So I'm trying to think of like the evidence that she has in this situation that libraries are evil. So like her evidence would be like that she's met a couple of people who work at this one library and she doesn't like them or she doesn't think that they're they're good people. But like countering, if I'm countering, I'm going to say that not everybody who uses the library is evil. We heard Anne, her friend Anne, speak at the end of that clip who said who could really benefit from a library, you know, and have free access to information. It's not going to be all bad. And we could ask Leslie, has she ever had a positive experience with a library or benefited from a library in yeah. some way? Yeah, if I'm, if I'm Leslie and I'm reframing that thought, I'm going to think like... The folks who run this library may be sort of assholes, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the library is an evil institution. (laughs) 
So I wanted to move on to another distortion and then maybe talk about some additional tools uh, for tackling them that I've actually found helpful in the past. So. so the next thought error we have is what's called the mental filter or sometimes called selective abstraction or also tunnel vision. It's similar to overgeneralization, and this distortion focuses on a single negative and excludes all the positive of a situation. This mental filter can also foster a negative view of everything around you by focusing, again, only on what's negative. So I have another Leslie Nope clip, just because she's great. Uh, So in this clip, she's running for political office for the first time, and she becomes obsessed with one citizen's negative opinion of her. Well, my campaign has a little momentum, so we're trying to capitalize on that by doing a focus group. Some things are very helpful. Other things are not so helpful. All of the things make me feel a lot of feelings about myself. (laughs) You, sir, said you would not vote for her, correct? Yeah. Yeah, she seems a little uptight. She doesn't seem like the kind of person you could go bowling with, you know? What? That's ridiculous. I am excellent at bowling. Ask Ron. Leslie, I know it's tough to hear these things, but just try not to get obsessed over one comment. You're totally right. I'm not obsessing. Okay, what are you doing? I'm just reminding myself to tell Ron to tell you how good I am at bowling. Leslie goes on after this to start a bowling night for her campaign just to try to win over this one guy's vote, which, you know, spoiler alert, does not work. He's just a jerk who won't vote for her no matter what she does and leads to her boyfriend punching him in the face in the episode. So, um, yeah. Right. So here she's filtering out all of the other constituents' opinions of her, you know, many of which were probably positive, and focusing on this one person's idea uh, that she might not be fun to go bowling with because that's the one negative within all the positive. I emailed both of you guys recently because on on the iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts, this person wrote this review (laughs) that was about how they started listening to the show. They were really excited about the show. And then they couldn't listen to it because I used the word like too much. And radio and podcasting professionals shouldn't use the word like as much as I did. And it like sent me, oh, fuck, sorry. I just, (laughs) (laughs) and it sent me spiraling because I was like, oh my God, I'm not a good radio professional. This person is right. Speaking as a radio and podcasting professional, by the way, like, (laughs) fuck this guy. (laughs) And the other thing is all the other comments that are there are positive. Right. You know? So this is totally me doing the mental filter. This is a good time to uh, remind everyone to come and if you're on iTunes, rate and review the show, <laughs> leave a nice review and just drown out the people who are getting into Rebecca's head. Also, if you have trouble finding our podcast because it's named group and there are a lot of other things out there that have a group in it. You can search for my name, which is Rebecca Lee Douglas, and that'll pop it up right away. So I, I want to try another method of addressing this distortion, the mental filter. So there's an excellent book recommended by a lot of cognitive therapists called The Feeling Good Handbook by David Burns, who is a student of the guy who invented cognitive behavioral therapy. He outlines some really helpful methods for dealing with thought errors there. And one of the methods that I think might be really helpful for Leslie in this situation is the double standard method, uh, which I use a lot for my own thought errors. So basically the premise behind it is that we're a lot harder on ourselves than we are on other people. So if you look at the situation and you think, what would you say to a friend who is experiencing something similar? That's usually quite helpful for, for me. So 
Yeah. So what might Leslie say to a friend who is, who's in a, a situation similar to this? Like Leslie is really smart and empathetic. And I'm sure she would say something like, screw that guy. He's, he's misogynistic to think that you wouldn't be fun to bowl with, or that's absurd. You're an awesome bowler. You don't need to prove to this asshole that you're a great bowler. Let's focus on winning all of the non-assholes in Pawnee, you know, which is the, the town that she's in. Which is interesting because it's similar to what Ben told her, but something <laughs> about thinking how you Ben's would respond husband, to yeah. a friend experiencing it causes it to maybe sink in yeah, and feel a little more tangible. Okay, so let's do another distortion. Right. So the next distortion we're going to talk about is called labeling and mislabeling. And this distortion is basically an extreme form of overgeneralization. It's where you identify with your shortcomings. So instead of saying, you know, I made a mistake or I messed up or I forgot something, you think instead I'm a jerk, I'm a loser, I'm an idiot, and so on. So the example that I have for labeling and mislabeling is from BoJack Horseman, uh, which is a show that's been praised as having one of the most realistic takes on depression. So Will Arnett voices BoJack Horseman, who is a humanoid horse. The, the show is, you know, cartoon. <laughs> now I just, now I really want to see live action BoJack Horseman, though. Well, I don't know. They didn't live action Beauty and the Beast. They're doing Lion King. I, th- I think I'm actually more interested in like the low budget version where it's just like everyone's <laughs> in like a bad horse mask. <laughs> oh my God. Right? I would definitely, I would love to see that show. I feel like maybe, um, I need to create a YouTube series of my own, but I think maybe we'd run into copyright issues. But uh, so, yeah, so uh, Bojack was a star of a 1990s show called Horsing Around. And that was like, was like his big thing. But now he is severely depressed and um, has a lot of issues with alcohol. This clip starts the moment that Bojack wakes up in the morning. Piece of shit. Stupid piece of shit. You're a real stupid piece of shit. But I know I'm a piece of shit. That at least makes me better than all the pieces of shit who don't know they're pieces of shit. Or is it worse? Breakfast. Oh, I don't deserve breakfast. Shut up. Don't feel sorry for yourself. What does that do? Get breakfast, you stupid fat ass. <sighs> Labeling is, is definitely here, but I, I mean, I see a lot of dis- distortions mm-hmm. in, in this. So I, I was thinking one method that Bojack might benefit from here is... Um, cost-benefit analysis, which is um, a method that's that's recommended in this Feeling Good Handbook. So um, Bojack would write down all the advantages and disadvantages of calling himself a stupid piece of shit or labeling himself a stupid piece of shit. And the idea is that like, okay, you're writing down like, what are the benefits here? Like, what am I getting out of this? And then what are the disadvantages here? And then the idea is that hopefully you recognize that you're not a stupid piece of shit at your core, um, but that you have defects like everybody else that you can work on. So like maybe the things that are bothering him are, are stemmed from his depression or his alcoholism or the crap that's going on in his life that he can work on as opposed to like he is just a stupid piece of shit. Ian, do you watch BoJack Horseman? I do. I, I, I will also say that that in addition to being a great depiction of depression, it's also an excellent way to induce depression. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's definitely a good point. So if people are particularly worried about being triggered in some way, like 
it's not like a The Office or like a cheerful. It's not Bob's Burgers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a fantastic show. It's really, really well done. It can be rough. I'm I'm hard pressed to think of of other shows that have left me feeling as gut punched at the end as as episodes of BoJack Horseman really? have. Um, I also think that BoJack could potentially benefit from the double standard method where you like to say what you would say to a friend, give the advice that you would give to a friend, because I'm thinking like BoJack is actually a, a pretty insightful character when he's talking to people he cares about. I can see him like talking through this with a good friend being like, you know, you're not a piece of shit. Like people care about you and here are some things that like we can work on together or something. Yeah. Okay, so we have uh, a couple more. Catherine, do you want to do the next? Sure. So the next thought error is jumping to conclusions, which is also called mind reading. This distortion manifests as the inaccurate belief that we know what another person is thinking. It can also manifest as the belief that we know what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, so there's... The mind reading version and like the uh, fortune telling version. Exactly. It's possible to have an idea of what other people are thinking or maybe an assumption, but it's impossible for us to know for certain. Yeah. For someone to know for certain what someone else is thinking. I, this is one of the things that I'm most guilty of is like trying to. Yeah, this is a common one. Yeah. Trying to, is reading into things that people say and like thinking you know, about what their impressions are of me, which are quite often negative or like in my head, I believe that they're negative or like over email, you know, yeah, (laughs) because there's no tone there. I think I'll do mind reading sometimes where I'll be like, oh, this person punctuated it like this. So that means they probably hate me or they think I did a bad job or whatever. Yeah. And this can be really enlightening to unpack with people because we often think that we're responding to a situation or to something that happened or to a person when in reality we're responding to our assumptions about what that person might be thinking or what's happening in that situation. Or the conclusions we've jumped to about the situation. Yeah, this reminded me a little bit about like our last episode about social anxiety and how we, um, Noah Kleiman, the CBT therapist that we were talking to, and he was saying that like quite often people with social anxiety, they actually have a lot of negative assumptions about other people because they're constantly thinking that other people are thinking bad things about themselves. Mm -hmm. So this is a similar thing here where you're just always thinking that the other person is thinking something bad or jumping to conclusions about what they're thinking. Um, Okay, so I'm going to play another Parks and Rec clip. This is the last Parks and Rec clip. (laughs) Leslie thinks that her date will react negatively to anything honest that she tells him about her life. Hey, while I have you, can I ask you a question? Shoot. What if he asked me if I've been married? Have you? No. Well, then say that. But then he'll wonder why I haven't been married. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say that I was married. The real question is, should I say that I have kids? Guys like girls that have kids, right? Whoa. Leslie, just, I think a good old, like, examination of the evidence here might be good for her. So, like, to counter this, to counter her thought, her date is clearly interested in who she, are, who she is as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'd known each other for a while before he asked her out. It seems like he wants to get to know her for who she is, as opposed to some, like, alternate universe divorced version of herself with kids right and to reframe the situation you know there could be 
alternatives to what he's potentially thinking about whatever her hypothetical answer is to these questions. Yeah, I mean, and then like, it, you know, this is comedy. This is a comedy show. But I like it. it I do like identify with this pretty strongly. Like, mm. you know, what if I say this and then the person thinks this? People aren't as outwardly judgmental as we think they might be because like they're just too busy thinking their own thoughts and being in their own head. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the takeaway here is, is mostly everyone is nervous about everything all the time <laughs> that, you know what? I might be, I might be doing the overgeneralization. They're too busy with thing, their huh? distortions to be taking part in this. <laughs> um, okay. So we have two more. Yeah. So then again, the other piece within jumping to conclusions can be fortune telling. So this is the sister to mind reading. You're also jumping to conclusions based on little or no evidence, but you're predicting or assuming that you know what's going to happen in the future um, and often predicting that things are going to turn out badly. So the clip that I have here is from Seinfeld. In the clip, George is is certain that things will be disastrous if his friend Elaine befriends his girlfriend, Susan. Have you spoken to Elaine yet today? No, why? She called Susan last night. Oh, yeah, I know. How do you know? That was my idea. (laughs) Your idea? Yeah. What'd you do that for? She was looking for someone to go to the show with. Well, that was really a stupid thing. You know what's going to happen now? Worlds collide. What? Yeah. <laughs> because this world is your sanctuary, and if that world comes in contact... Yes, with it world... blows up. So if you know that, what did you tell Elaine for? I didn't know. Kramer told me about the worlds. You couldn't figure out the world's theory for yourself? It's just common sense. Anybody knows you got to keep your worlds apart. So I also think here that learning learning to think in shades of gray might be helpful for George, especially since this, um, you know, this is also a form of like all or nothing thinking, like either Susan and Elaine are not friends and everything is okay, or they are friends and his world blows up. So like to remind himself that things are usually somewhere between zero and 100 um, instead of, you know, the other way around. The dynamic in the friend group might change a little bit if Susan joins them, but like it's unlikely that uh, his world's going to blow up. Yeah, I think this in particular is one that that I find myself doing a lot. Um, I I feel like I do a lot of the like worst case scenario fantasizing in my head, and, and I think like a lot of people, I sort of tell myself I'm I'm you know preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. When I, I think the reality of it is, I'm I'm mostly just preparing for the worst, and and I'm I'm so distracted by preparing for the worst and and thinking up scenarios that are much worse than than the actual worst is going to be that I'm I'm not really hoping for the best anymore. I'm just preparing for the worst. Yeah, this it that reminds me a lot of like high school Rebecca, who was like constantly afraid of failing exams and put so much energy into it because she, you know, I was like, Oh my God, if I, if I fail this test, that means I'm not going to get into college and then I'm not going to get a job and I'm not going to be able to make money. And I'm just going to have to like live in a cardboard box and that's going to be the rest of my life. I'm just going to yeah. be living in a cardboard box and I'm going to be a disappointment and everybody's going to hate me. And <laughs> can be really <laughs> defeating. I mean, you could also think I'm going to fail this test which could lead you to think, so why bother even study? I'm going to fail anyway. Oh, I see you've met high school Ian. (laughs) (laughs) 
So the last distortion we're going to talk about during this segment is um, unfair comparisons. So this is when you unfairly compare yourself with other people, often leading to negative thoughts and feelings about yourself. Okay, so the clip that I have for this is from The Office, where The Office is debating whether or not Hillary Swank, the movie star, is hot. And so they have a large printout of her face taped to the wall, um, and they're going up one by one and saying what they think. Um, and about half the office thinks that Hillary Swank is hot, and the other half says she's not hot. Um, and right before the clip, Toby Flenderson, the HR manager, says that Hillary Swank isn't hot. And so Kelly Kapoor, the customer service representative, Mindy Kaling reacts. Mm-hmm. Oh, come yes. on. No, 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 She's hot, okay? Because if you are saying that Hillary Swank isn't hot, then you're saying I'm not hot, because obviously I'm not as hot as Hillary Swank. So uh, this is something I can relate to also because I, I feel like I often compare myself to other people and it leaves me feeling crappy. People who are, you know, like me and in my field and then also people who are just like totally just <laughs> not not like me at all. So like I, I remember it was very upsetting for me in my in my Latin class and in college Uh, to learn that Catullus, you know, who's this ancient Roman poet, was 19 when he was writing all of this poetry that's been, like, preserved and studied for, like, you know, thousands of years. And I was like, oh, my God, he's done all all this at 19. I haven't done anything, you know? And Or, like, learning that Jennifer Lawrence was younger than me and being like, like, what have I done with my life? But, like, (laughs) you know, I'm also, like, not a poet in ancient Rome or, like, a spunky... Actress. (laughs) This is not comparisons that are worth your time. I mean, so um, I also think that a method for that could be helpful for Kelly that was listed in in the Feeling Good Handbook is the method of defining terms uh, where you go through some of your thoughts and you sort of like look at some of the keywords and like think through what they actually mean. So she's upset because she feels like people are saying Hillary Swank is not hot and then she's not hot. So like Kelly, maybe think about what hot is. Like it's a totally relative concept and what people think is hot about Hillary Swank is not necessarily going to apply to you and vice versa. And also in my opinion, both of these women are super hot. Okay. So I have, I have one more example I, I wanted to play and I thought we could just listen to it first and then try to identify thought errors in it. This is from The Office. Steve Carell plays Michael Scott, the regional manager of the Scranton branch of Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. And at this point in the show, he's just received the news that his branch is closing and that most of his staff is going to be let go. And so he and his colleague Dwight are camped out at the CFO's office with the goal of trying to convince him that he's shutting down the wrong branch. Oh, this is a stupid idea. This was so... Stupid. I'm such a stupid idiot. I let everybody down. Everybody hates me. I lost everybody's jobs. Nobody likes me anymore. Okay, so Catherine, can you take us through this thought together? Right. So going through the cognitive restructuring that we talked about earlier, we'll start with the activating event. Okay, so that would be that his... Branch is shutting down, and he hasn't been able to do anything about it. Exactly. So then what were some of the, the thoughts that he had because of that activating event? 
he says like this was such a stupid idea i he keeps saying he's a stupid idiot that everybody hates him and he lost everybody's jobs yeah, so we can imagine some of the feelings that these thoughts might have brought on, um, feeling humiliated, maybe sad, fearful. Yeah, so like some of the distortions I recognized here is like all or nothing thinking. Um, he's saying that like nobody likes him anymore. You know, and with, with the all or nothing thinking, nobody likes me anymore. Like it's interesting because he, his best friend is standing next to him and helping him mm. as he's, as he's saying this the overgeneralization, you let everybody down. If you talk to some people in the office, he'd learn that some people are actually excited <laughs> that the office is shutting down, <laughs> um, labeling. He keeps saying that he's a loser, uh, jumping to conclusions, saying everybody hates him, mind reading that everybody hates him. And then also uh, another distortion, which we haven't talked about, um, which is personalization, which is where you take personal responsibility for things that maybe you aren't responsible for, like saying he's responsible for losing everybody's jobs when it's it's not his responsibility at all. It was a, a decision that the company made. Mm. Um, There's also some emotional reasoning here, which is another cognitive distortion we didn't talk about. Basically, Michael Scott saying that because he feels this way and feels so upset and fearful and like he's an idiot. Yeah, that it must that be statement true. must be true. Yeah. So, you know, we we did some countering. He's, you know, can be like a crappy boss some of the time, but he's actually he's out there and he's trying to fight for his coworkers. He's doing something good. And, you know, he has this person who's there with him by his side who really admires him, who thinks the world of him. And yeah, he hasn't even asked people at the branch how they feel or what or what their thoughts are. So I think to reframe this, it might be like, it's a little scary that the branch is closing, but he's, he's doing the best he can to, to make sure that it stops. And he's, you know, he's a good salesman and he's, he, I'm sure he would land a, a new job and be okay. I'm going to leave it there, but I'm sure we'll address thought errors in future episodes. Again, if you want uh, a a full list of the the distortions, we didn't cover all of them, you can visit grouppodcast.com. There will be a lot of great links and resources there. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you download your podcasts to make sure that you have the next episode when it comes out. Uh, Search for Becca Lee Douglas on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review so that I don't have to do these exercises when I go look at the comments because I spiral. Yeah, nice reviews only, y'all. Uh, like, if you don't like the show, that's that's disappointing, but it's fine. But, like, you don't need to, like, write that on somebody's wall. That's probably a bit <laughs> much. And, and if you find yourself thinking about negatively reviewing, I, I was going to say this podcast, but... I, I think I'm going to extend it to everything. Uh, maybe take a look inside and and be like, do I need to leave this negative review? I I think I think le- anytime <laughs> someone leaves a mean comment on anything, it's really uh-huh. there's the opportunity there for like a, a physician heal thyself moment. What thought distortions are exactly? <laughs> okay, so you can learn more about our show at grouppodcast.com. Um, and if you want to call and ask us a question or, or you have something that you want to talk about or you need advice, you can call the new group voicemail. Uh, and I'll put the number on the website, but in, in case you want it now, it's 
0270. So that's 707-510-0270. And the next episode of Group on February 1st is all about how to find a good therapist. We'd love it if you could call and and tell us about your experience finding a therapist. Um, So you can leave us a voicemail now or shoot us an email. If you're interested in Catherine's work as a therapist, you can visit her website, katherinedrury.com. That's Catherine, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, D-R-U-R-Y.com. Uh, check out Ian's podcast, Menagerie, on stories of animals and how humans interact with them at menageriepodcast.com. Music in this episode is by The Losers, and we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, if you're having some negative thoughts, write them down. Try and come up with a new thought that's based on evidence, man. And uh, take care of yourself and be kind to yourself. Everything's going to be okay. I was at a bar last week, and I was talking to a girl, and I told her that I have clinical depression. Always interesting. No, she didn't care. That wasn't even a little bit interesting to her. That really ticks me off.